Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Can ghost hunting techniques be used if you believe you're dealing with aliens? What is missing time all about? Can you trust your own senses? Hello and welcome to the 898th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, coming to you from WON, AM, and FM Radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app, from TalkStream Live, and on TuneIn.com. I'm Ben, and those wide-ranging questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures, and dad, Paul. And today, uh, we bring you two familiar guests on a very unusual subject. Uh, first of all, though, we honor those who participated in and who died in the D-Day invasion of Europe on June 6, 1944. You want to talk about anti-fascists? There they were, storming the beaches of Normandy 77 years ago today. Secondly, we honor Timothy Green Beckley, who translated last Sunday, May 30th, born in 1947, Tim was a -a one-of-a-kind fellow and a dynamic UFO researcher since the early 1960s. An official guest co-host of this show, Tim was the first, uh, was first on the WON airwaves in 1964 when he came to Rhode Island to meet fellow UFO researcher Joe Ferrier, uh, a beloved colleague of ours who hosted the afternoon talk show here and was, uh, really beloved throughout Northern Rhode Island. Tim was a prolific author and publisher who worked with all the greats in the field. We will honor him with a special tribute show on August 1st. Now, uh, appropriately, Tim's spot as a guest co-host here uh, will be taken by Tim Swartz, uh, who co-hosted Exploring the Bazaar Radio with uh, Tim Beckley for many years. Tim will co-host with us uh, as a sort of debut on August 1st, the tribute show uh, we mentioned. And thirdly, uh, welcome to our 13th anniversary show. Look at that, Dad. 13 years in the bag. Lucky 13. <laughs> and our very, first in show, our very first show was actually entitled, What is the Paranormal? And that aired on June 1st, uh, 2008 on a Phoenix-based uh, separate edition on uh, CBS Radio along... Or sorry, well that was that was following uh, no, that following November, I should say. So thank you all to well to, to all our listeners over the years and uh, you know keeping keeping us going and here we are. You know, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we've at least given an answer, some sort of an answer to that question. Well, Probably something like not. that. Yeah. I think after 13 years, we barely scratched the surface. Right. Now to our guests. Uh, coming to us via Skype today, our mother's stepdaughter investigative team, Pamela Nance and Ashley Field. Now, now uh, we, we don't have Ashley with us just yet, but Pam is with us. Hey, you know, we're persistent. We keep trying. That's right. Uh, Pam holds a master's degree in anthropology and archaeology with minor degrees in religion and sociology. She recently retired from one of the top 25 medical universities in the United States following a 30-year career in biostatistical and sociological research. For nearly 40 years, Pam has been an active investigator in the survival of consciousness after death and as a result became a trained healing touch practitioner, past life regressionist and hypnotherapist, trained shaman and dowser. She should meet uh, Susan Spooler, the the big cheese with the dowsers in New England. Anyway, um, Pam is involved in one or more film projects, which we will talk about a little bit later. Uh, Ashley, uh, who hopefully, as I say, will join us uh, shortly, uh, began working with Pamela while still a teenager. Her career has evolved from the legal field in information technology to a partnership in a construction firm specializing in historical renovation. 
Her research has led to many areas, including past life regression, holistic healing, demonology, ghosts, mainstream and pagan religious beliefs, quantum physics, and ET phenomena slash contact. Pam and Ashley last appeared on our show uh, number 880 in January 24th of this year. Uh, that's available on most of the podcast apps and certainly at BehindTheParanormal.com archives. So, Pam and Ashley, although we don't have Ashley yet. At least Pam. Well, Pam, we have you at the very least, so <laughs> welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me, and what an honor to be on your 13th anniversary show. Well, thank you. Yes. Well, thank you. You know, it's an honor to have you with us once again. And, and typically, you know, it's it's amazing. Usually we don't get repeat guests within the same year. Usually it's like three, four, five years down the line that we <laughs> that we talk with somebody again. Well, we didn't finish our conversation in January because of the, of the brevity of the show, and uh, so we, we were anxious to get back and talk again with uh, with Pam and Ashley. So Indeed. Well, I guess we'll just kind of hop into it uh, while I, I keep trying to get a- Ashley on uh, with us. So uh, when you were on with us back in January, uh, we we talked about um, your unusual approach to, to ghost research and, and paranormal in general, uh, which is actually relatively similar to ours, and you've applied that to alien contact as well. Uh, so let's start with your 2015 missing time experience and... In a way, uh, none other than Stanton T. Friedman got the ball rolling on that for you, correct? That's correct. So Ashley and I had um, presented at DragonCon in Atlanta, a, a convention that's held yearly in that area, um, in 2013. And we had the pleasure of meeting Stanton at that point. He attended our presentation and We realized uh, into our investigations by that time that we weren't dealing with trapped dead people in a historic timeline. We had moved sort of into the area of interdimensional communication and had begun to apply some quantum theory to our research. And we incorporated that into our presentation And Stanton really liked that approach. He approached us afterwards and suggested that we connect with Kathleen Martin, the niece of Betty and Barney Hill, and also the um, director of the MUFON Experiencer Research Team. And she knew of a location in the eastern part of North Carolina that had uh, reputed UFO activity and encounters. And she connected us with that individual. And at this point, it was 2015. It, it took a while to get all of this um, arranged and underway. But we were able to go to that location in June of 2015 and approach it um, much the way we did our paranormal investigations. We researched the history of the property. We talked with the property owner several times um, before arriving on the property, met with he and his family for about eight hours that day and conducted some preliminary um, investigation in the home and out on the property, got a feel for the area and some of the background information about um, what had appeared to be ET communications and contact that had happened to um, individuals on that piece of land. And so around 10 o'clock that evening, we went um, into the backyard to set up our equipment under a tree that 
seemed to be the focal point for a lot of the um, information and evidence that would come through either through contact or audio. And we had um, a video camera with night vision set up behind the tree to the right about 15 feet back. And we also had a couple of uh, spirit boxes, the SB7, uh, two uh, digital audio recorders, two 35-millimeter cameras. And that's pretty much, you know, our equipment when we conduct investigations. And so going out into the yard around 10 that evening, the first thing we did was set up the video camera. And the camera ran for about eight minutes, and we talked with the family while we were getting the camera set up and the initial eight to nine minutes recorded, and immediately the battery drained. And, And that's something that we encountered often on our investigations Um, a draining of equipment so the battery was replaced in the video camera and it continued to run through the evening we moved away from the camera to our area under the tree and began to ask questions and at that point um, the remaining family members had gone back into their um, house and so it was just Ashley and I and the property owner left to investigate under the tree and we had developed our list of questions um, that are typical to our investigations and began asking but we heard answers coming through or communication coming through on the spirit box that weren't really answers to our questions Uh, we were being directed to look at the moon and which we had a very good view. It was a 78% uh, waxing gibbous moon. The night sky was star-filled. And we had noticed a fairly bright, what we thought was a bright star to the left of the moon when we first started the investigation. But communication was coming through, directing us to look to the left of the moon. And the... um, object became brighter and brighter and we discussed for some time whether or not it was a star or something else and we were hearing these EVPs coming through indicating that perhaps you know it was something other than a star and um, that's pretty much the last thing I remembered and I found myself a bit later standing under the tree, still staring in the direction of the moon. The bright light was gone, and all of our equipment was behind us on the ground under the tree, and it was turned off. And that's counterintuitive to our investigations. We, our tools are, you know, our primary tools are is our equipment, and there's no logical reason that we would have turned all of our equipment off. So that was a bit baffling, and I did not feel well. I was dizzy and nauseous, and Ashley and the other person indicated they didn't feel quite right. Um, but we just kind of chalked it up at that point. 
as being tired. We'd driven three hours to the location. We'd had like a, you know, a 10 or 12 hour day of talking and interacting at that point. And we just felt a little dazed and confused, but proceeded to pick up our equipment and um, gather up the video camera and return to the property owner's house. We entered the house, and at that point, um, we realized it was 1 o'clock in the morning. We had gone out at 10, and it just did not seem like it should be 1 in the morning. But, again, we chalked it up to being tired. We drank coffee, trying to wake up, packed up the car, and um, proceeded to leave the the property to go out onto a um, four-lane highway. And as we did, we saw a very bright object that at that point in time we thought was a shooting star. But it was very close to the treetops and very, very bright and very fast. And we both exclaimed, you know, look at that shooting star and really didn't think anything else about it. Um, returned back to my home at probably 5 in the morning, um, grabbed some sleep. Ashley hit the road back to her home in Georgia, and I began to review my audio from the Spirit Box session. So we went out at 10. I had only an hour and 15 minutes of recorded audio. So that would have put us at about 11.15. We went inside the house at 1 in the morning, so it appeared I had about an hour and 45 minutes of missing time that I should have had on my audio recorder. So I called Ashley as she was still en route to her home and asked her to review her recordings as soon as she got to her house particularly the video camera, um, because it had continued to run, even though the other equipment had been turned off, um, her video camera continued to run, so I was anxious to, for her to see what was on the video camera. And over the next couple of days, it became quite obvious from the voice recordings that we picked up in that hour and 15 minutes of live um, interaction under the tree as well as the video and the photographic still shots that we pulled from the video camera that we had had some type of encounter uh, with non-human intelligence. Okay, uh, do you mind if we play a couple of the EVPs that you obtained? Yes, please do. Okay. Uh, this one is interpreted as I'm back above you. Hopefully it works. Well, hey, you know, put it right up to the microphone, Dad. Yeah, if I can get it to work. That's a good hit. <laughs> this is oh, live dear. radio, folks. Yes. <laughs> oh, dear. I would don't you, think it's going to work. Would you like help? Yeah. I have it in the OneDrive there. Oh, yeah. that might do it. Well, in the meantime... Um, yeah, well... <laughs> Let's let's see, let's see what we can do. Let me work on that. I'll continue with the questions here. I will do what uh, I can. I'd like to play these because Ben has a degree in sound and uh, his uh, interpretations of EVPs and the whole process is very interesting. But EVP means electronic voice phenomena for anyone who doesn't know. And uh, <clears throat> it's a, a common tool now for researchers in 
particularly ghost research, and they will ask questions and sometimes get answers. And I think the majority of them, to me, maybe I'm just a, it's, maybe it's my aged ears, but the uh, most of them to me just sound like um, gibberish or th- things that you know pareidolia will take and turn into words. But, but there, there are some that are quite clear, including some of these. So um, there we have. You know, if you go into the uh, email, maybe I could. Uh, that's a good question. Well, hey, you know, let's. All right, sorry, is, we, we should have tested this before. Well, so <laughs> you do, you do what you can. Yeah. Well, one of the things. Well, well, we'll get into that if we can uh, can get that. So during this experience, before this experience, Pam, did you have fear, anticipation? Did you feel threatened? What were your physical feelings as uh, this? communication was taking place and as you saw this object by the moon there was really no fear involved um ashley and i had encountered some fairly frightening um entities over our years of investigating so hearing these communications come through and seeing the bright light to the left of the moon was not that threatening to us and it was really our reason for being there that night you know we were hoping to encounter uh some type of et or non-human intelligence and we had had multiple um recordings come through over the period of several years indicating that we were you know communicating with an and possibly an interdimensional um uh, species or uh, non-human intelligence that would give us the name of their planet and they would tell us they were coming through a portal or a wormhole and that they weren't human. Um, so, you know, this was like sort of like the gold standard for us. Um, oh, Ben got it. Figured it out. Look at that. Look at that. Helps to have a sound degree. Yeah, I just button mash. Um, yeah, no, whenever. Didn't mean to cut you off, Pam. <laughs> oh no, this was, it was a lot louder than I expected it to be. <laughs> well, we have a thousand questions based on these, so go ahead. Right, right, right. Okay, so uh, first things first, we'll, we will go with the the first audio. If it decides to work now. Okay. So, so that's interpreted as. Uh, I'm back above you. Did not hear that first part. Did hear the kind of back thing. So here's a question. Did you use a ghost box? Spirit um, box, imagine. Yeah. Spirit a, box. A spirit box 7, an SB7. And what is that exactly? Um, that is a device that sweeps um, FM radio frequencies at a millisecond. Um, adjustable forward or reverse frequency sweep. Um, so it's coupled with what is called a proprietary high frequency synthetic noise or white noise that is distributed between frequency steps that equal 0.1 megahertz per step. So two steps would put an SB7's frequency out of the range of any given FM station. And just to back up a little bit on the um, EVP work that we've done, we um, experimented um, at the Dock Street Theater in 2015 with a graduate 
in audio engineering, music production, and music technology. And we used a three-by-three grid system with microphone triangulation, a Faraday bag, and also spectral analysis. And what we found as we investigated a full night in that location, the, the intelligent communications that came through were in a sound range that could not be produced by the human vocal cords. Um, so, you know, an adult's male range is between 85 and 180 hertz, and a female is between 165 to 255. And these fell um, in a range that clearly was well beyond that, like in the range of 660 all the way out to 20,000. Um, and this particular student has gone on to uh, become an assistant professor and actually wrote a paper um, about this experiment. So we're, we're fairly confident. And after doing this type of work for about 15 years and listening to thousands of hours of EVP audio, your ears become tuned to the sound that these these entities make. Um, the voices sound different, and there are subtleties um, in the communication. And you know, if you're getting, if you're sweeping an FM frequency, all the FM frequencies at a millisecond rate, but you're getting full words, and sometimes we would even get songs that came through that we could tie to historic uh, locations and verify that through, you know, music professors and uh, anthropologists, you're not dealing with, you know, FM radio stations or some other type of um, voice interference. Ben? Oh, I'm, I'm taking notes. I'm, 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 Curious as to as to what this paper is called. I'd re- actually really like to look at it um, because, it, the, to the best of my knowledge, until today, I didn't know that there was actually any anybody you know, or uh, anyone in the sound field that actually did any sort of research on it. You know, typically when I well, I wouldn't bring it up in college, but it would it would essentially kind of be poo pooed um, as like right. oh well you know think of it like a stereo unbalanced cable right you know you put it into a guitar you turn on a distortion and you get you know radio frequencies picking up on it because it's not a balanced cable um which it's 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 interesting because i've never heard it explained that way before and it kind of makes sense i'm i'm having i'm having trouble wrapping my brain around how it's still plopping into the audible dynamic spectrum uh, that's that's the only thing I'm having having a wee bit of an issue with, which it's mostly just me trying to figure out how that conclusion was was reached. Um, that's but that that's just me. It's something I'm working on. I'm kind of just working through my thoughts at the moment. Well, you want to play one or two more? Sure. Uh, so this one is titled "I'm at the Moon," and let us see if we can actually hear it at the moon. Kinda. I heard moon. <laughs> Yeah, or moo. Moo. Well, maybe it's a cow. Uh, the um, we we did an entire show one time with with a guest who was saying that he was experimenting with this and it was an uh, on the AM frequency, 
frequencies uh, that these were coming through. So I, I don't, but you're the expert. Back. Well, I mean, you know, we had our, with our, our, you know, our wonderful uh, station manager, uh, Dave Richards, we had a conversation after that That's show, right. yes. I believe, and he was just like, yeah, you know, what we're doing right now is is AM, ampl- amplitude modulation, right? Because we're, we're disturbing the air molecules uh, with our vocal cords, and therefore we're creating amplitude modulation. And that's what we're doing right now. Mm. And, um, you know, AM is actually probably one of the, the, the best um, forms of communication. And we actually had this discussion last week with yeah. wonderful sta- uh, wonderful station manager that you can, you know, you can pick up frequencies all over the place, right? I mean, mm. even you had, like, um, so, you know, when you were in the Coast Guard, right? You know, there, there was a, a transmission that came in from the Queen Mary. Was that what it was? Oh, that, that didn't happen to me. That was oh, oh. I, actually I researched uh, mm-hmm. a case where there was a a missing vessel. Yes, and was unclassified, and uh, the vessel was a research vessel from the Scripps Institute of Technology, uh, or, or oceanography, I should say, uh, and it uh, was missing. And uh, one of the Coast Guard uh, radio operators actually got a uh, a signal from it, uh, not talking to the Coast Guard, but but just. Talking seemingly in another vessel, and the vessel had been been missing. It was almost like a missing time experience in itself. This is back well, kind in the seventies. Very strange. But the science is that you know when when you when you shoot off a signal, it bounces around in the ionosphere for you know who yeah. knows how long. That's it. And it can stay up there in the ionosphere and yeah. still be picked up. Well, it's time for our bottom of the hour break, and I, I want to continue this. I also want to get to some questions from listeners that have come in. But anyway, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, our 13th anniversary show. Uh, we're on WOON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM in New England's very hot and sticky Blackstone River Valley. So stick with us. We'll be right back. The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to The Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade, the finest in late night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofnye.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Want to take a ride? Local and live at 99.5 FM. And we're back behind the paranormal, and uh, we're on WON 12:40 AM, 99.5 FM, in Northern Rhode Island. And we have our wonderful guest today, Pam Nance, uh, unable to reach uh, Ashley Field, our second guest, but Pam is uh, filling in nicely for both. Uh, and we're talking about electronic voice phenomena. Now we want to get to some questions from listeners, but let's play one more. Some of those are really quite clear, even to me. Uh, yeah, yeah, electronic let's... voice phenomena obtained by. Uh, Pam and uh, Ashley during uh, just prior to a uh, missing time experience in a uh, UFO situation. Indeed. So here is the next one. All right. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. It seems that it's coming through in American accents, modern terms, uh, if we're interpreting correctly. But I think um, why don't we? I think we're going to do another show just on the EVPs here. <laughs> but I w- let's get to some uh, questions from listeners here. First of all, uh, we have one from Peter, of course, in uh, Bogota, Colombia. 
And Ben, uh, there are several here, actually, if you could... Um, sure. Like that. Oakley Doakley. Uh, so, Peter writes to us. Uh, uh, so, please ask Pam and Ashley uh, to attempt EVP contact with uh, Timothy Green Beckley, who's, oh, pa- who's passing a sad and so many of us deeply. Uh, in attempting contact, uh, please convey our e- eternal love and appreciation for all of his uh, many admirers around the globe. We love you, Tim, and uh, you will be in our hearts forever. Uh, please give us a message if there's a response. That is very sweet. Uh, we love Tim too. Uh, guest co-host of this show came up uh, in uh, 2013 or 14 to just to be with us because it was his 50th anniversary of having been on this station with Joe Ferrier, as we said earlier. Uh, we don't encourage mediumistic mediumistic activity of any kind, uh, but that's us. Uh, don't look at us. We only deliver. So, uh, Pam, it's up to you. So. Okay. But uh, we, we love Tim. Uh, is there another question? There is. Uh, which is, please give us uh, details of the alleged alien abduction cases you investigated and uh, recorded EVPs relative to. Well, that's easy. That's what we've been doing. That's what we've so, been doing. So, uh, okay. so, so what words did you pick up exactly, human and non-human? Are the characteristics different? Okay. Well, well we're going through that. So uh, we'll continue after. And uh, I believe that uh, we have an email as well, if you can hand me my phone there your phone it is here we will get back i'll try not to erase anything you're doing here oh i mean i just kind of opened it in powerpoint because somehow you have powerpoint Uh, on your phone yeah i do yes yes Uh, okay i'm gonna have to all right this one let's see hmm what am i doing here okay uh it it appears that i'm you're looking for an email i'm I'm sorry i probably ruined your your mojo no i think i ruined your uh situation here yeah oh here we go uh all right uh this is uh all right we, we've got peter's email i'm sorry here folks um what did i do here? okay here we go wrong one all right i hate when this happens okay here's uh oh i guess we we have one from uh, phil in connecticut who was our uh show reporter for that area here it is finally all right there you go, Ben. Uh, Phil is in the middle of the uh, Connecticut Triangle, which we've been researching for 16 years. Indeed. And Phil writes to us, uh, can you describe how you go about constructing an ethnographic profile, uh, which I understand you use to identify uh, your line of questioning during the investigations? In your view, who is haunted, the people or the building, or both? Take it away, Pam. Okay, so we developed the ethnographic profile by digging into the property's past as far as we could go, looking through deeds, um, land grants, uh, any type of historical records, genealogy, to establish a, a layered history, um, sometimes taking properties all the way back to land grants from King George uh, in the late 1600s. So we identified um, the family members, um, the way that they would have dressed, the foods that they would have eaten during that period of time, the games the children played, uh, battles that were fought on the property um, through the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, And we would then structure our line of questioning 
based on this ethnographic profile of the property, and that really seemed to resonate with the deceased population. And, you know, I tend to stay away from the term haunted because after, you know, giving this area a great deal of thought and research, I think that we're rubbing against historic timelines within the Earth's astral plane. And so what the population that we may perceive as being deceased certainly come through as a living population. So I think, you know, it's an interactive communication that they're still existing in another space of time, and we're existing in our dimension of space and time, and there's a communication that's occurring. And what we found was that, you know, so many of our responses were very intelligent, and we could research that information on the back end as far as, you know, games that we weren't familiar with that the children would play. We were then able to do historic research and validate games and food and structures, and, I mean, the list just goes on and on. Well, with making a bow to Albert Einstein and the special theory of relativity where there really is no past, no future, how do you know what you're recording isn't taking place in what to us would be the future? Because we've run into that. Some, I think, was coming from the future, and those were the types of communications that put us onto the path of studying quantum theory, including Einstein and and um, others, you know, looking at the special and general theories of relativity, string theory, quantum entanglement, um, you know, the multiverse. Um, and we incorporated a lot of that into our presentations, and it just seemed to make sense, um, you know, with some of the, the different types of communications that were coming through. Mm. When, when we ask the historic questions, we seem to get, you know, historic responses. But when we would generalize more about, you know, how do you come through, where are you coming from, um, then we started picking up communications that seemed to be, you know, interdimensional. Uh, ben, you had a question? I do. Um this only just occurred to me now. I'm, uh, I'm, I was, I was looking through um, a little, little bit of the presentation there. It does sound like there are intelligent responses. It's what it, it, if, if what we're hearing is, is correct, um, which we're, let's go into the assumption that it is. Let's. How is it that we need all of these complex devices and techniques to acquire answers from these questions, but we seemingly are like, okay, well, tell us your name. And yet they understand us perfectly. Is there, do they have a complex device on sort of the other side of the spectrum? You know, how is this communication occurring and how do we know that it's accurate? We ask that question and, you know, we, we said, why is it that we have to have all of this equipment to communicate with you, but you come through so easily to communicate with us? 
And the response was, I prep, like they prepare for it. Um, and, you know, to throw out a different scenario, we were in Lexington, Kentucky, investigating a an, an 1700s uh, carriage house, and upon review of the audio, it sounded as though they were investigating us. They had equipment. They were saying, you know, they're coming through. They're human. Um, it was really the strangest investigation of that type that we've ever done. Uh, actually, that we were being investigated. Like we've, I've particularly uh, myself run into this over the years that uh, the quote unquote ghost thought I was a ghost haunting them. Or Ben and I run yeah. into that in this Connecticut case. And uh, so that may be uh, more arrows in the quiver of this multiverse idea, perfectly physical worlds all interacting. Uh, have you ever run into, because I, I, I have never used equipment for this, so maybe that's, um, I don't know, a justification for not using uh, equipment on the other side, if, if that's the case, I don't know. Have, I've run into very serious language barriers uh, inability to communicate, <clears throat> and again, I hated writing about this in my last book, but because uh, I sound like uh, I'm um, <clears throat> encouraging mediumistic activities, which I'm not, and it sounds like I'm doing it myself and being hypocritical, but I, I just it's, it's a different context. Anyway, have you ever run into language barriers or or beings uh, who just cannot communicate verbally? As I've run into just about everything out there, and I, I don't do this as a practice, but during meditation, it sometimes happens during cases. So, what 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 do you say about that? As far as languages, we have in historic settings picked up French uh, Huguenot coming through. Oh, that as was well our ancestors. As, uh, uh, Should have had us with you there. Um, yeah, uh, some French Huguenot uh, down at Clemson University in the Hanover House. Um, and it was built by um, Paul Ravenel, who was French Huguenot, um, and he spoke French to us about his garden. And we also encountered um, African Mende chanting um, at several different locations. And I sent that audio to um, a linguistic anthropologist at UPenn, and she identified the language for us as being Mende. And the connection with that property was that um, the area of the Mende Africans was very similar to the, the uh, coastal region of South Carolina and Georgia for rice growing. Um, so it would have made sense that those particular people would would live there, um, and their ancestors are still in that area, in the Low Country. Hmm. Well, let's get back, unless Ben wants to take it somewhere else. Uh, get back to your missing time experience, uh, or Ben, sure. did you have something? In- I mean, that was the topic of the show, wasn't it? <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> so, um, just uh, wondering here too. Um, we we assume, and you know, it's a perfectly logical assumption that you're dealing with. ETs, extraterrestrials, aliens from another world of some kind, or a planet, or, or whatever. Um, what other possibilities could could there have been that night? I mean, the, the communications we've heard, they sound American, perfectly modern, normal, 
different voices, but uh, I mean, you tell us. I mean, what was the, were these necessarily people or beings from some other planet? And was it a spaceship or, or what happened? Um, well, the, that first eight minutes on the video recorder that I talked about um, initially, yeah. prior to the battery going dead, um, captured a being in the tree that we ended up standing under to do the investigation. Um, it's a, about a six-foot being in a black bodysuit with very pale skin, what appears to be a ridge down the center of his head, slits for eyes, and it almost it looks as though he's got night vision attached to the, to the side of his head. And there's a smaller light uh, being that comes up from the bottom of the frame up into the tree and lands on the larger being's shoulder. Um, and so we've had a retired military intelligence officer as well as Kathleen Martin review that uh, video for us. And they've done frame-by-frame analysis and pulled out um, some really incredible still shots of these two non-human beings. Um, one is very small. That's the little guy that kind of shoots up from the bottom of the frame. Um, he appears to have almost like a jet pack on his back. And he shoots up to the larger entity's shoulder and then the larger entity is clearly seen. And at the end of that clip, the smaller little guy shoots out through what appears to be a portal of blue light. And that really kind of blew away the military guy's um, thoughts about everything. And, and he's analyzed it and had a couple of his... Um, colleagues put it through some scrutiny and and this has taken months you know to go frame by frame um so we have some pretty good um still shot photos from that evening as well as an overlap in time um during that eight minutes of audio you can hear us chatting with the property owners and towards the end of the eight minutes, in the last 45 seconds, we begin to move away from the video camera to begin our investigation under the tree. And you hear me turn on the spirit box, and you can hear me begin to ask questions. But at the same time, there's a loud roar, and there is a... Um, like a almost a mechanic mechanical or robotic voice that says step out and you hear Ashley and I talk about being brought back and I'm talking about I say the craft has landed um, Ashley says we're back and she's not happy that she's back um, and I talk about their windows are those the same people looking out the windows 
But at the same time, you can also hear us carrying on the investigation under the tree. So it's almost as though they brought us back in an earlier timeline. We have overlapped ourselves. And that audio we've pulled out and Kathleen and the military intelligence um, person has analyzed that. It's very difficult to explain what happened there. All right, well, we have a few thousand other questions, but I think <clears throat> many people may be wondering uh, <clears throat> what you think of the Pentagon quote-unquote revelations that have come out lately and uh, the apparent willingness to at least admit that UFOs are not uh, from our technology and probably not from anybody else's we know about. So what say you? Do you trust this? Um. I think I think it's great that they they're willing to come forward and say that much, um, but they're really not saying enough. Um, I think you know, having communicated and and collaborated with retired um, CIA and Department of Defense people over the period of about six or seven years, it's clear that they are aware. These intelligences have been coming to our planet for some time, and many of them believe that you know our government is directly involved with some of these beings. Um, and and just to have the military footage of craft that defy you know speed and and maneuvers and and going beneath the ocean that defy anything that we can currently do much less China or Russia. You know, I just don't think those countries are capable of that type of technology either. Um, the fact that those videos have come out and, you know, I, I think it, it, these are baby steps um, in the right direction and, and maybe they think that's all the public can handle at this point. Uh, but disclosure is happening. It's been happening and I think it will continue. And, I, you know, I think it's time. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Ben. Well, I mean, I guess the question is disclosing what? Yeah, I think it's naive. Well, it's, 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 uh, it's a clever diversion. The world's falling apart. Uh, we're all but at war with a bunch of different places. Um, you Not know, to be unnecessarily yeah. cynical, but I agree with Ben. Well, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, why? <laughs> like, why now? Of all times, it doesn't. It just doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. And it's it's one of those things where it's like you know it's it's uh, I, I I forgot who I was having this discussion with, but it's it's one of those things where it's like you know you've been saying something for so long and then finally someone who's who's perceived to be in power says you know what you were right all along, and it feels real good to be right. And and it's uh, it's it's one of those things where I personally you know hey I could be wrong. Maybe they're gonna tell all. Maybe there'll be some sort of yeah, maybe, positive you know. paradigm shift, but I'm I'm skeptical. For well, many. The government that treats us like children anyway, I don't, I don't really expect that. No. But uh, P- Peter was asked a last-minute question here, Pam. Uh, is there a place we that we can all see these still photos that you mentioned? I know you and uh, Ashley were working on a website. Um, I do have a website in development um, that I hope to have rolled out in another month or two. Um, we plan to release the photos 
you know, on the website, I'm drafting a book. The, the photographs will be in the book. And I have released some of the still shots to another individual um, that may show them uh, through a YouTube video that's coming up um, maybe in, at the end of June, 1st of July, Chris Matthew on Forbidden Knowledge News. So that's something to stay tuned for. Yeah. Yeah, uh, let us know. Keep us posted in that. We're going to be back soon anyway, so uh, you can okay. keep us posted. What bothers me, Pam, is that in all the communications you had before the experience, there seems to be, you know, and you were there and I wasn't, so uh, there seemed to be no warning that you were going to be abducted, no permission. Um, do you feel that uh, whoever this is or whatever this is treats us as equals, guinea pigs, or a food source? Um, I think it can vary depending on your experience. Uh, I've had lifetime encounters since I was a small child um, that, you know, really sort of defy explanation, but it taps into a, a deep level of my consciousness that that perhaps I've been communicated by these uh, individuals in the past and, you know, that it has continued. Um, I think in some cases that, you know, people have a negative experience, but from what I'm hearing and reading and some of the Zooms that I participate in, over 75% of experiences are positive. Um, they're collaborative. Um, so, you know, I think people are starting to um, not look so much as, you know, at those experiences that we heard about early on that were scary and uh, experimental um, that, you know, they're they many times can be of, of a higher consciousness, uh, a communication of of love almost, that, you know, we're all interconnected and that there is, a, you know, a higher place that we can go as a human species that, um, you know, might offer us some hope for the future, for our planet, um, in many cases, people who've had these experiences come away at better citizens. You know, they care more about the environment. They care more about each other. Uh, they realize that there's an interconnectedness um, that goes beyond the, the materialistic world that, you know, the, that most people are uh, wrapped up in. Um, you know, they, they seek to, to know more. Um, um, okay. It can oftentimes be a positive. Very good. Well, a nice, uh, cheerful note and positive note to end on, Pam. We're out of time. Uh, Pam Nance, uh, we'll, we'll be in touch off the air and uh, let us know what that website is. We'll do some promos and we'll have you back real soon. Okay. Thank Thanks you so you. much, Paul and Ben. Okay. Appreciate it. Okay, to our announcements here, uh, Ben and I are looking forward to our first appearance on Peter Robbins' great new show on KGRA Radio, Meanwhile Here on Earth. Uh, that'll be tomorrow, June 7th, from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we're especially psyched about the format, and that will be a panel of people with theological educations addressing the subject of aliens and UFOs. 
Other panelists will include Rabbi David Zaslow, uh, Reverend Dr. Barry H. Downing, Methodist lay ministers Mark Rowland and Candy Ernzel. Peter Robbins is a dynamic researcher, a dear friend and colleague. I've been on the show many times, and he's writing the foreword for our forthcoming book, Behind the Paranormal, Three Uneasy Skies. So uh, check that out tomorrow if you can. Yes, uh, our show now has its own app. Uh, it's bare bones, just mostly has our past shows, uh, but we will plan on adding features as we go. It should be on Apple and uh, the Apple iTunes and uh, the Google online store in a month or two. Uh, but there's also a link at BehindTheParanormal.com if you'd like to download it now. Yeah, it's a very complicated process to get in those stores, but you, there is a link at uh, BehindTheParanormal.com. Uh, check out our books along with those of our guest co-hosts at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, as we said. Uh, we can also find out more about the show, many cases over the years, our public appearances, and how to book us, along with some of the uh, 900-plus free recorded shows from our 12-plus years on the air, including our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Our books are also available on some stores and on Amazon.com and BN.com. And our past shows, uh, back to uh, late 2009, are also available on major podcast platforms, including YouTube, iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, the Paranormal Radio app uh, from TalkStream Live, and more. Our website has a charity page as well with links to several good causes we have adopted on the show. These are people we know personally who run these charities, very, very uh, uh, careful of who we recommend. Uh, the newest one, Hope for Hilldale Cemetery in Haverhill, Massachusetts, uh, run by our very good friend Tom Spitaleri, uh, head of the Board of Trustees there, historic cemetery, and they need uh, funds to uh, to get going with uh, some improvements. Uh, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, USA Cares, Helping Haiti's Orphans, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, and the Sisterhood of Ground Zero, uh, and also the Milk Fund here in northern Rhode Island. So what's in the freezer for next week, Ben? Well, we'll take it out of the freezer now, put it in the refrigerator. in the freezer in this heat. Go well, ahead. hey, we're going to defrost it the correct way in the refrigerator so that it's ready for next week. On June 13th, we'll welcome Dev Rooney, uh, MUFON's uh, Assistant State Director for California, to talk about UFOs, dogmen, and other very weird stuff going on in that state. And Rick Eno, our show's California reporter, will co-host as well. Okay, and uh, <clears throat> we'll uh, leave you today by echoing our late, honored colleague here at WON, the great Joe Ferrier, uh, 1960s UFO researcher who published Probe magazine. Uh, Joe hosted the afternoon talk show here for half a century or more, uh, ending each broadcast with words the great Tim Beckley certainly would have agreed with and did. Keep watching the skies. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And one of my favorite things... One of my favorite memories of Joe Ferry was going down to Joe's Moldy Oldies. Yes, and lo- right. look, looking around, seeing what kind of treasures he kind of he kept there in his store. Old vinyl and all old UFO magazines, just great. Oh, yeah, great stuff. Socket. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. We shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of... Behind the Paranormal with Paul 